G'day and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. Uh, we'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our weekly Q&A. Tonight we are fortunate enough to be speaking with Robert Cox from Carabar Kelpies. Rob will pick who he thinks has had the best question of the night and they'll win a bag of Enduro Plus, high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Evening Rob, how are you going? Yeah, well thank you. Really well, yeah. Thank you for having me on. It's a bit of an honour. Uh, yeah, pleased to be here. Uh, thanks for jumping on, mate. Much appreciated. You know, you're a busy man, so uh, to take a take an hour or so out of your schedule for us, mate, we uh, we appreciate that. So thank you. You're welcome. So as you can see tonight, we're still doing things a little bit different. I'm still in ISO, so Laura's going to be looking at your questions as they come through. So if you could just bear with us during the night, uh, that would be great. And thanks for all the well wishes during the week as well. And a big thanks to Laura for uh, looking after the team last week under some difficult circumstances. Uh, she's done a great job. Anytime. So, Rob, we'll jump off straight into it. Tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do. Uh, okay. Um I'm from Manildra, uh, originally from Sydney, born in Sydney, uh, moved around the countryside at the moment on Manildra, run a sheep place, uh, got sheep, few cows, few horses and too many dogs. Yeah, it was so coming out of Sydney, mate, where did your passion for uh, livestock and then dogs more so come from? Well, I, I never remember a time when, when I wasn't interested i i blame my great grandmother she bought me a book by enid blyton called shadow the sheepdog and that sort of had me hooked and grandpa made me a little farm that i had to move the animals around on and yeah I, that's just what i wanted to do how old do you reckon you were back there mate when when that took place oh i would have been five or six yeah, yeah. yeah. we're at panania Panania, right in the middle of it there. Yeah. So so apart from a stint where I almost had to go to military college, it was, yeah, Stockman. That's what I wanted to do. That's awesome. Yeah. Continued yeah. on with that right from the kid. Yeah. So how yeah, do no, you, yeah. you go? go oh, living the dream, see? <laughs> that's, that's what we all hope for, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So these days, how do you use your dogs in your day-to-day -day life? Yeah, uh, how do I use my dogs? I use my dogs. Uh, the block I've got, there's some clear country on it, but there's a fair bit of rough country. So, yeah, I use my dogs to, to, to get the stragglers out of the timber and move the sheep to the yards, you know, do a bit of drenching, needling, all of, all of the usual stock husbandry jobs. Um, we've got cattle now, so yeah, starting to use them on cows, dry cattle. That's how I use them. <laughs> starting to get a few horses too, there, mate. Yeah, we, yeah, we're starting to get a horse collection. Yeah, yeah, I like, yeah, I like to get on a horse when I can. It's good. So, could you do your job without your dogs? And if you if you couldn't, how would that look? Yeah, I thought about that one. Um. Yes, I could do my job without the dogs um, because I'm self-employed. I can't sack myself. So <laughs> yeah. I, so I, well, 
you know, you probably can. But um, so I could do my job without dogs. But and how it would look, probably a horse and a drone. Yep. Because some of the timbered country I couldn't get a bite through, so it would be a horse and a drone on top with a good camera and probably a microphone. Take you a fair bit longer too, I'd say. I'd say so. Or a shotgun yeah. up one end of the paddock and a feed cart down the other. <laughs> yeah. Proper trains, mate. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a bit about the current lot of dogs you've got there. Oh, uh, three main dogs are Captain Trigger and Bruiser. Uh, Captain has got a lot of the old stuff that I had. He's got four crosses of moss and four crosses of gin, a uh, bit of Capri Boss in him. Uh, then Trigger, Trigger's got a lot of gin. Uh, and Bruiser is by Trigger out of an outcross bitch out of a Ramulan bitch I've brought over. And they're the three mainstays. I've got two young bitches that I quite like. Uh, one's by Trigger. Another one's by a South Australian dog out of a Captain bitch. And they're not going too bad. I don't mind those bitches. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a particular style or type of a dog you like and they have to meet that particular criteria? Yeah, I suppose... The hardest part that I've found with sheepdogging is is actually the middle piece. There's, you can get dogs that'll cast out wide. You can there's any number of kelpies that'll back and bark, but when you got you know five hundred to a thousand sheep and you got to get them in the yard or you got to get them across a creek once you've got them together. So I've always strived that my dogs have that middle piece because they're pretty important places and a lot of people can fall down in those areas um so yeah i've always liked you know obviously good casting dogs i like dogs with a lot of hold i don't like over strong dogs they they annoy me um it tends to go with a harder temperament and and not a lot of, not a lot of round and a lot of hole. They just want sheep to move all the time. And having said that, triggers one of those. So there you go. But yeah. um, you've got to have something that shifts them too. But because of where I am, primarily I need hold. And keeps your blood pressure a bit lower too. Not having those too many of those types around, I suppose. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, that's when I started. Talk about blood pressure. I'll, I'll go off. Um, You're all right. I was about 35, 36. And, you know, like all young men, I was fiery. Not now. But um, I thought, I'm going to have a heart attack if I don't work out what to do with these bloody dogs. Like, they'll drive me to distraction. And so, I, yeah, I started to have a look inside myself and tried to understand where the dogs were coming from instead of being their fault all the time. Yep. That big learning curve. Big learning curve. What did you learn? I learned um, that there was lots of ways to work with a dog and it didn't have to be all my way. Yeah. That, that was a big lesson. W work around the dog you got. 
Just like having any coworker, right? No. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. No, I, we talk, I thought we were talking about dogs. No. Yeah, well, I suppose they are, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they are. And and that's the best way to use them too. Use them like an extra person. I often got told a long time ago that I talked to my dogs like they're people. But that's really, really, when you think about it, that's the role. It, it could be you, Dan, sitting on the side of the mop. Yeah. But instead it's captain. But taking up the same position and you have to understand the same things, so you've got to help them to understand. Captain might be a better choice, mate. I've got terrible temperament and shit nature. <laughs> I'd get her in. No. <laughs> yeah, Captain does all right. <laughs> Captain goes well, mate. Safer choice. <laughs> so, why is your team made up of Kelpies? Have you tried other breeds or? Oh, I work collies. Um, and doing the schools, I've seen, oh, what? I think we counted 32 different breeds. So, I've seen, I've seen a lot of different breeds. Um, but, yeah, I started with Kelpies and they suit me, you know, the, a knockabout sort of dog. And um, there's good collies out there, but it's harder to find an all-round sheepdog in a collie, which is my main work. I, if I was working cattle, I might have a few collies, but it's, it's hard to find that collie. They're about, they're definitely about, and some real good ones, but it's, it's hard to find the collie that's an, a true sheepdog. Usually they don't like being in close to their sheep. Like I said, there's exceptions to the rules and some mighty fine collies, but as a general rule, kelpies don't mind being close, you know, that the hustle and bustle of the yard, well, kelpies love that. Then you've got to find one that'll cast out. So, yeah. yeah, they just suit what I do. And I'm predominantly sheep, so I don't have a lot of cattle work these days. So, yeah. And these days, you, you obviously got your own line of kelpie, but starting out, was there a particular bloodline or a style you're looking for? or And how did you progress to having your own line? Yeah, well, like I said, I don't like real strong dogs. Yep. They, all I do is fight with them. Um, so when, when I first started trialling, I came across, well, Jim was trialling, Chris was trialling, Steve was trialling. There was a Mac-type dog, Baron Bogey Mac-type dog that was strong. And there was some Phil's Creek blood around. It wasn't so strong, but they seemed to be real nice-minded dogs. And so even today... I try to blend the Horton, Phil's Creek, Sam, you know, Pat, Basil type stuff with the Mac type stuff because I think somewhere in the middle is, is probably the better dogs. They're not – they're strong enough but good in the minds. Yeah. And that's what I want. I want a dog that's strong enough. So every now and then you need an injection of bull in them, but, but I don't want too many. So have you ever, like, you've been pretty consistent in what you wanted. Have you ever thought about trying something else and come back to it because you learnt your lesson or you just went, no, that works for me and I'll stick with it? Well, I know what works for me, but you've got to yeah. be prepared to work out how to get there, right? 
So you you start breeding dogs that aren't strong enough all the time, <laughs> you end up with dogs that aren't strong enough. Point. Yeah. Because dogs breed smaller and softer. That's just the way nature is. So I've always believed every three generations you need a hard dog in there. And that picks it up. Yep. And he might not necessarily be a dog that I would keep myself, but he's a dog that, that just keeps that level of intensity and, and that bit of power in the line. Has the type of dog you look for changed, obviously, from where you began? No, not really. No. I, I like I like I, but I also like bark, mm -hmm. which is why I don't like dogs that are real strong dogs because when you get to the creek crossing, you push up and they're marching forward looking great guns, but the sheep are folding around them. So I like a dog that can bulge with noise. And that's why I like my dogs strong enough, not too strong. Eye and noise. And are you breeding many pups, mate? And what do you like about breeding? Oh, I love genetics. Yeah. That's why I'm mucking around with wool, you know, Murray Greys, the horses, the dogs. I love genetics. Um but yeah, I've got uh, we got a litter of pups here now. Um, you know, and you talk about breeding. Well, they're a double cross of a bitch uh, that I bred quite a few years ago, and the, the opportunity came up to double up on her. And the whole reason of doubling up on bitches are so important. I want a doubled up bitch, and then I can take her out. So I'm always thinking, you know, I'll die soon, but in 10 years' time, I'm still right. <laughs> <laughs> so you say, like, the bitch is important. Do you believe in the percentages of bitch more than um, dog or what are you? No, thinking? no, 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 no. The bitch, is the bitch is just as important as the cow and, and the ewe and the mare if you're to maintain a line. Mm -hmm. A family of bitches is really important. And and part of the reasoning is, okay, I breed her a litter of pups and I sell the bitches. I never get the best pup out of those bitches. Old mate that's got the bitches going to have the best pup out of that bitch. Right? So I keep the bitches. It's, it's hard to get a bitch out of me. Yeah. <laughs> but if I, if I sell a good dog, it doesn't matter. I can always swing that bitch that I've kept over to the good dog. Yeah. So it's not more, it's not so much about percentages. It's about maintaining a family of dogs. And I think the bitches are real important to keep if you want to maintain a family of dogs. Right. So you're right. Keep going, mate. So, so I really only look to keep. A male every three or four years. I'm about due to keep another male now. I think Bruiser's almost three, if he's not already. But yeah, so so, but I don't keep many males. But if there's a good male gone out, well, I can swing a bitch to him. And when you keep those bitches, mate, and obviously you don't end up keeping the whole lot as they mature. 
what are you looking for in that particular one that you that you keep your hands on that you put your grip your grip on and you don't let go well like everyone um the same stuff yeah you know, hold is a primary for me hold yeah I, I like a dog whose primary is hold that's what they do so so th- Again, not necessarily the strongest pup walking into the middle of the mob, you know, horses for courses, but I don't mind that pup skipping around just blocking. And, and you know, that's where they start. That's not where they finish. As long as the dog has good experiences and they gain in confidence, it's amazing how strong they can get. But having said that, the strong pup, you can mould him and keep him out a bit too, but... Where I am, I can't afford to send him up into the timber and then he bustles into his sheep and he only brings half of them. He's got to know when to go outside a tree and when to come inside a tree. So so hold is a primary. I look for hold. If they're holding by four months, they'll not necessarily going around, but if they're holding sheep by four months, they'll stay in stud. There's a chance they'll stay in stud. Yep. You got the next one, Laura? Uh, yeah. What are you looking for or thinking about before breeding a litter or considering a future joining? Yeah, just that. Hold. Um, <laughs> if, if the bitch is a little softish, that's okay. I'll swing her to a harder dog. You know, just trying to balance up. I, I know what faults I can handle and what faults I don't like, because there's no perfect dog. So I learned a long time ago that I'm better off breeding the dogs with the faults that I know I can get around. So it's just matching them up to hopefully end up with, with something close to what I want. Well, you basically answered the next question I wanted to ask you, but I'll, I'll skip one and go, are there any particular traits that you'd like to put in your line moving forward? Yeah. Yeah, um, I think my dogs are a little heady. Well, I like holding dogs, yeah. um, and that's their primary. They they skip around, they hold sheep up. Sometimes they're a little heady and can take a lead off every. But it doesn't really bother me, and I'm going to be have I'm going to have to be real careful about putting that in. I, I used a South Australian dog. And I really like the little bit. She's a bit more down in front, not behind the eye, but not as hard catching as some of my dogs. So I'm really happy with that. Uh, how she progresses, you know, time will tell. She's only a baby. So, yeah, I'm aware that they're, they're catchy and they need to hold position just a little more. But I'm also aware that I need a, a dog that can – Excuse the French, get its ass around sheep. Yeah, you're <laughs> really <right>. important. <laughs> I don't, I don't like seeing sheep running into the scrub. <laughs> I don't think anyone does, mate. And no, that means no, more no. work and a longer day, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Anyway. So for Hugh, who were the most influential dogs to get you to where you are today, and what do you think made them or makes them so special? Uh, when I first started, there was Minute who had an exceptional mind and he was strong. Uh, comes from Mac, 
there was Pat who had an exceptional mind. Um, you know, and and so I started. Well, I started with I went and bought three bitches when I got sick of getting neighbours' dogs that were no good. I went and bought three bitches. One was a minute bitch, one was a Zondo bitch, and one was a watch bitch. And all my dogs go back to those three bitches. Um, so Moss was buy a pet dog out of a watch bitch. And he was really the start. Well, not really the start, but, you know, he was influential at the start anyway. And Jin was by Zondo. Ah, sorry. Jin was by a Basil dog. Basil was by Pat out of a Zondo bitch. And the Zondo bitch was out of a watch bitch. So so it was all pretty close, but but that that Mac, Pat, Pat, Mac, you know, I really found that that, that cross delivered some incredible dogs, you know, Target, you know, yeah, lots of good dogs. Basil. Basil was by Pat out of, oh, I think it was Misty who was uh, by Watch out of Lucky Sister, I think, you know, so that Pat yep. Mac, Pat. It seemed to really work. So, and to this day, I, I'm still, you know, the litter of pups on the ground now. There's a couple in there. Geez, don't they look pat? You know, they look like Basil and Pat. And then there's a couple of dark ones in there. Holy smokes, you can see the Mac in these ones. You know? yep. One of them looks like Watch. So, so, yeah, that line has been really influential for a lot of people, and me included. I, yeah, so I've, I've tried to, to maintain that course and you're talking there about like when you started off and you went out and you bought three bit outside bitches what advice would you give to anyone wanting to buy a pup or their first dog now shop around there's oodles and oodles of good kelpie breeders breeders um just have a talk to them all most of them are pretty honest people and Tell them what it is you want. Don't, don't, you know, if you want a paddock dog, don't be ashamed. Say, I want a paddock dog. If you just want a yard dog, say, I want a yard dog. You know, if you want the utility dog, good luck. But <laughs> no, <laughs> they are about. But try and find a breeder that can deliver the type of dog that you're looking for. Yeah. And, and then, most times when you go and see a litter of pups, you know, don't make a science of it. If you like it, try it. Quite often the pup likes you. Question here. Um, Rick Freeman has asked, what weaknesses are you prepared to tolerate in a dog's work and even breed from? I suppose that might mean that you don't consider it a weakness, but perhaps what others generally think of as a weakness. You mentioned I before. Can they have too much? Are you talking about barking on command before or as an instinct? I, ooh, okay. Um, yeah, read it again. So, I'm sorry for That's taking right. time. That's all right. What weaknesses are you prepared to tolerate in a dog's work and even breed from? I suppose okay, that might mean that you don't consider it a weakness or perhaps others generally think of it as a weakness. That's the first the part. Weak, the weakness I will not tolerate is an inability to hold sheep, to contain sheep. That is a must. 
and and heart. I will not tolerate a dog that gives up. When I roll up the sleeves and want to get down and dirty, I want that dog rolling up his sleeves too because we're in for a hard day. I don't need him to go, oh, this is starting to scare me, Robert. I think I'll go home. (laughs) So I will not tolerate those two things. I don't want to be holding cheap. I'm not fast enough anymore. And I do not want to roll the sleeves up and be left on my own. They're the two things that, that yeah, yeah, I won't tolerate. I don't mind a dumb dog that's trying. I can help him get through his dumbness, but yeah. he's, he's got to want to try. They've got to have want. Yeah. You can mould so, them if, if they've got want. Yeah, go on, sorry. No, you go. You keep going. No, no. Well, the second part of that question was from Rick. You mentioned I before. Can they have too much? Are you talking about, and when you're talking about barking on command, is that, on command or as an instinct? Or free bark, yep. yeah. Yeah. So for me, that yeah, they can have too much eye. And, and they can have too little. Like I said, I, I think my dogs are a little too catchy and heady and need just a little, just a bit more eye. I, I don't want to go too much eye because then, you know, they're st- yeah, look at me. I'm doing a great job. I got them. I got them. And, you know, the lead's heading off into the scrub and they're holding the tail up. Yeah, I got them. That. I don't want so much eye that they're not aware of the mob they're working. So I want them free enough to be able to work their mob. But enough eye, if one or or, or five or however many get through a fence, they can slip around there and hold position reasonably well. So, so yeah, too much eye I don't like. Um. I don't, and I'm not talking my dogs like running around yappy playing dogs. I, I don't like that. But it, and I suppose this comes down to conditioning too. When I say push, don't stand there wag, wagging your bloody tail, mate. There's a job to be done. So, so I want a dog prepared to open up with noise when I ask. Don't stand there telling me it's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> if that helps. <laughs> and definitely definitely don't go home and tell me it's too hard. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I want, so I want that propensity, a, a dog with, with freedom that's free enough and noises in there genetically enough that I can get it when I want it. Yeah. That, now, those dogs will bark on their own when they're going around the force and that sort of thing, you, they're fresh and they're mad. You don't have to tell them to bark too much, but bark's important where you, in situations like creek crossings, where you need to put a lot of pressure on one side, um, bark is important. Not so much just running around yapping, get in position and put it on them. It's important. So if you can get a dog that at least likes to bark, you're a step ahead. And you mentioned um, eye before and not too much. Do you, do you find the dogs with that are sticky tend to um, not free up with bark? They're just because they're too fixated on what they're doing. There's exceptions to all the rule. Um, yep. Moss had a lot of eye, 
and a lot of noise. So, so there's dogs that can do it, but I think as a general rule, most dogs working down low and tied up with eye, yeah. it's hard. It it's hard to to break in there and get that noise when you want it. And we're not. I'm not talking about the back of the race. Like you can get most dogs barking at the back of the race. I'm yeah. talking about creek crossing and critical points where it just comes in handy to bulge them up. All over it, mate. But that's basically you answered exactly what I was thinking. So thank you. Uh, before we move on, before we move on from breeding. Um, Lance Clifford has asked, have you ever thought of introducing a Border Collie into your breeding? Uh, he says, I believe there is some good blood out there and I have seen some good pups from crosses. Maybe we are missing out by being colourblind. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Lance and I have spoken about this. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, uh, there are some terrific crossbred dogs. Uh, I've, had, I've had, well, I wouldn't say terrific, but I've had crossbred dogs. So I'm, I'm not against crossbred dogs at all. Uh, for me personally, I'm trying to maintain a family of Kelpies. So probably won't introduce a Collie myself. But if there's a Kelpie that I really like as an outcross and it's got a bit of Collie back further, yeah, why not? I've, you know what I've always wanted to do and I've never been in a position. I believe... You crossbred dogs, the problem is when you breed them out because genetically there's too much variation. Yeah. And I would love, I probably won't get to do it, but I would love someone to try and breed a crossbred litter and keep the best dog and the best bitch out of that litter and try and tighten up the blood. And just to see what the outcome is with that, it would be interesting. I'm not in a position to do it, but, yeah, it'd be cool if someone did out there. <laughs> You've thrown the hook out, mate. We'll see who picks it up. <laughs> Nick Hovey has asked, you talk about conditioning and asking a dog to do something. Do you feel that some trainers or handlers desensitise their dogs to commands by overusing the command? For example, saying go back five to ten times whilst the dog is achieving the command. The <laughs> dog's going back anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That oh man, that's a leading question. Um, the so so one point is that's why I don't like putting sides on a send. The dog's going anyway. He's not going to stop it because he should want to get around his sheep. And if he doesn't want to get around his sheep, I'm not going to send him. I'm just going to send him on. So so shouldn't need a side to send him back. If you're in the right position. And you close off the side you don't want, he should just go. So, so um, yeah, so commands, you know, yeah, it's deep territory. Um, I'm not real big on telling a dog what to do. I'm, I do like to show a dog what the job is. So I'm, I'm a lot more conditioned dogs into patterns and then name it and use body language a lot more than just saying you must do this dog because I I I believe and this might be a bit out there 
that everything that we ask or command, everything we, we ask a dog to do in a stock sense is a call. Everything is a call. You call the dog to a stop. You call the dog to the left. You call the dog to the right. Everything is a call and everything is a call, come and help me please dog. So in that sense, I I don't like calls. That's the way I start my dogs on calls. Um, yeah, and I condition patterns. Does that make sense? Did I answer the question? <laughs> Makes sense to me because I've seen it, but um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, you're right. Go on. No, go, go on. Okay. Well, I was going to say, and, and, and along those lines, you know, you know, Daniel, that I don't like working the back end of a dog. Uh, I, I detest the notion that you put your arm out behind a dog and push it around cheap. Yeah. I work the front half of a dog. Um, and that way, if they're a bit pushy, which they should be, if they've got some want, you're in their head from the start. So I always work the front half of a pup, always. That's something that's stuck in my head for the last well, nearly five years, mate. So uh, <laughs> good. Yeah, that's, that's one of my one of my pet things, you know. And I never push a dog; I always pull a dog, and that's what you're referring to. To yep. there with working yep. in front of a dog. Yep. And you're always calling a dog to help you. Come and help me, mate. I need you. I need you here. I need you there. I need you to just lay down for a bit. They're all calls. And if you think of them as all calls, then you start to understand a dog instead of just dictating to a dog. So going on from that question, Nick has asked, so would you prefer a run or a send command? I, yeah, the run command's good. A run... Especially when I was in steeper country, I used to put a run so I could actually move my dogs wherever I wanted, but it's not as necessary. There's some parts of Australia you could use it, but it's not totally necessary. Um, I, I have a getaway, and I'll just say getaway. And that simply means, and it's taught when they're babies, get to the other side of the sheep. Get away. Don't, don't stop at 9, 10, or 11 o'clock. That's not the other side. Get away. So, yeah, and, and it, it turns into a, just a free whistle, just, just a release whistle. Yeah. Can you elaborate on a run? Is that purely just pick up the pace or? No, no. Um, I think what he was referring to w was a run. So a dog starts directly in front of you and just, yeah. and just runs. And yeah. from that, you can put your, your calls Sorry. left or right to steer him where you need him to go. Yep. I've seen it used to great effect in New Zealand and there's parts of Australia that it can be used to great effect too. Um, I haven't had too many situations since I've been here and that's 20 years where I've needed a run. It's usually just get away. You can find yourself you can find your own way around the property. Just just run. Just yeah. get out there. 
yeah. So yeah, I don't I don't use a run anymore. I used to, but I just don't see the practical need for it where I am. So how much effort would you put in the training um, your dogs these days when um, when you start them? Um, well, I was working one this afternoon. Um, I don't think. I think compared to most people, I, I don't put a lot in. They'll see sheep once, twice, probably three times before they're four months old, maybe, maybe a couple more. It depends. Um, it's like I tell people, I say, how often should you work a pup? I say, when you want to. Yeah. And if I want to, I'll work them three times a week. If I don't want to, they'll go three weeks without seeing a sheep. Um so, yeah, but I wouldn't say that I'm relig a religious, you know, must go down and train Friday afternoon is puppy time. Yeah. No, I, I I like doing a little bit away from sheep just on a chain and just, you know, get having a bit of contact and, yeah. I enjoy feeding the dogs with a pup around and, or just letting one off and running and calling it because come call's the most important thing anyway. So I spend probably most time on the come call and actually teaching them to work sheep. So how do you know a pup is ready for more? You don't really, do you? He's not telling, <laughs> he's not telling you, geez, Rod, I'm ready. I'm ready. Get me out there, I'm good. So it'd be nice if they did because then I'd, Probably wouldn't send them out as early because <laughs> yeah. you see the look on their poor little faces going, what the hell? But um, uh, look, okay, I've got a bitch, five months old. She gets around the sheep pretty good. Uh, I've had her in a 20-acre paddock going around 20 or 30 sheep. That's okay. She, You could say, is she ready to go around a couple of hundred? Who knows? When I drop her on a couple of hundred, I'll know. Whoops, she yeah. wasn't ready. <laughs> right? So, yeah, you never really know, but but by the same token, you're not going to know if you're playing cautious all the time and don't give them a crack. How they And let them make a mistake. Don't be frightened to let them make a mistake. But how are you going to know if you don't let them have a crack? Don't know, mate. I... Uh... <laughs> I know, as an oil electrician, mate, my boss used to throw me in the deep end and go fix that excavator. And no dramas. What's an excavator? I'll What's show an you excavator? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. so I, I, you know, a young pup, if it's going around sheep, going around twenty or thirty sheep in the paddock, and you know, you can call it back to you. Yeah, okay. One day when the older dogs have got a hundred and we're just about to go through the gate, put the old dogs on the back. There you go, pup. See if you can go around them. And, of course, the sheep are going to go. They're old, educated sheep. You wouldn't do it on wieners. So as soon as the pup gets around them, they're coming through the gate anyway. Job yeah. done. Well done, pup. And it's easy to catch because the sheep are going through the gate. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> Only to the next paddock if you're not in the yard yet. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, you, you never really know, but. If they're fast enough to get around sheep, give them a crack. 
So Amanda Dunbar has asked, do you find the dogs shut down if you're in their head uh, from the start or is this how you initially make your pick of the litter? Um, I, I, I am in their head from the start. Uh, by the time they're weaned off mum, they've got a pretty fair idea that they shouldn't walk under my feet. So they're starting to respond to body language already. And then that creates the, the space in front of me as a sacred place because that is reserved for sheep. The sheep will be in front of me as they are an older dog. So, so from the time they're six weeks old, they're getting used to the fact that they're not allowed in there unless they're invited, of course, and, and you do invite them in. But otherwise, you stay away from that place. And that makes it easier to start them on sheep. that They don't want to play in front of you because they know it's dangerous territory. And so it's easier to take a pup out on a mob because they're more inclined to run out to the side instead of running through. And it, The body language is just so important. So if I can get inside their heads and get them reading my body so I become a lighthouse when they're young, well, I'm happy with that. And as far as picking a pup, um, I've got one now I like, but he keeps coming up to me too. So it's not just my fault. Um, and what he's telling me, this might sound a bit weird, but what, what he's telling me is that he can deal with me. And I like that. He He's comfortable with me. And he's a bit of a rat, so that that's okay yeah. too. He looks like he's going to have a bit of want. Now, he's only five weeks old, so who knows? But he seems to be able to deal with me, and he seems like he's going to have some want, and that's okay for me. If you, he's dumb, um, I can help that. Sorry, mate. Like I was going to say, that, that pup coming up to you and, like, you, not one of those pups in front of you, in front of you when you initially having them, that's setting boundaries early, and you believe that's a great start for being able to – you know, for the pups to work out, hey. Oh, it's a great boundary because it's not a spoken word, right? That's right, yeah. So, so straight away I'm instilling, listen, I'm the pack leader and I'm not going to walk around you, little mate. I'm, I'm not going to jump on them and screw my foot down on them. But yeah. if they get in, in my way, I'll make sure that they're uncomfortable enough that they think twice about it. And that's not with a growl or any spoken word at all because then it then it's miscommunicated as a punishment. It's not a punishment. It's just you learn that I am the alpha and you get out of my way. So it's done without a spoken word. So, so I become the lighthouse from a very early age, if that makes sense. So... So so the lighthouse is what I want to become when they're three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, too. Here I am in the paddock and I'm going that way. That's where we're taking the sheep. So so I don't have to tell the job, tell the dog how to do his job. That's the start of showing a dog what the job is. Right? So that's spot in front of me. Sorry. I was just going to say, how do you go about doing that? Well, that's the start. 
that little pup learns to stay out of my way. And when when he's starting on sheep, I make sure that whenever he goes to work sheep, the sheep are coming to the front of me. No matter what the pattern is, I make myself the lighthouse. So he moves to the left and the sheep move to the right. That's where I am. He goes to the right, the sheep move to the left. That's where I'm going to be. So he's always moving the sheep to the front of me. Right? Not around about me. And, and it gets tighter as we develop. Then I insist that that gets tighter and tighter. When, when he's first starting out, it might be around me in a matter of fashion. But then once you get a call on him and you start getting into that second pattern, you don't push sheep past me, mate. You place them at my feet. Yep. Yeah? <laughs> That's what I try to do. <laughs> um, yeah, so, Rob, talking about, you know, your lighthouse and um, from a pup. Now, I suppose this is a pretty um, – a question that can be – answered a lot of different ways but what is feel to you mate like genuine feel and do you think it can it's only bred or can it be trained it can be helped um feel and and a dog can have different work but still have feel right so so your catchy heady dog can still have feel which puts it which in in that situation he knows where to be to stop the sheep to stop movement and he knows how far out to be to stop movement so it's feel and then you've got your behind the eye dog working down low and sheep are bending off it all the time and, and those sort of dogs with feel will rate their sheep from behind um and they and and proper feel they won't cause a bulge in a mob because they'll move sideways if they feel it coming, <laughs> right? Yep. Then, but then you've got an added piece to feel in relation to the person, right? So, so the dog's feeling his sheep, but my question is, is the dog feeling his sheep in relation to where we're going? So then, then you, 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 a dog can have feel and rate small right you're, you're riding along behind and he can feel when to take the pressure off the lead because they're starting to pull up and he'll just take a step sideways let the movement happen again well that's feel too but i yeah. like that but that's feel with the lighthouse in play too because he's working yeah. for them so so there's different but basically i think feel is how far away from the sheep to be and in what position to be to achieve what the dog wants to achieve. Do you, do you think that sometimes people get hooked up on uh, grip with feel and not all dogs have a lot of grip and maybe that's um, why sometimes it's, you know, Captain, understanding of feel. Captain's got incredible feel and I wouldn't say he was a grippy dog. Yeah. He's a catchy dog with feel. 
You can have a grippy dog with feel. That that's different again. There's different forms of it, but both are feel. So when when Captain gets around the front and blocks up sheep, he knows exactly where to be to pull them up and exactly how far out to be so that he won't disturb them, which makes him an excellent scrub dog. Yeah, but you can have yeah certainly you can have a dog that has grip and feel, but you can have a catchy dog with feel too. It's how they carry out their intentions, really. Yeah, that's right. And the smarts that have to go with it plays a part in that, obviously. Well, if they're – here I go going silly again, but the primary <laughs> is important, right? So so if the dog's primary is to grip or, or, or to take hold of a mob and move a mob, if that, that primary is correct, he'll do it with feel, right? Just like a catchy dog. If if a catchy dog, his primary is to, to hold sheep no matter what and he doesn't like losing sheep, then he should do it with proper feel too. Clear as mud. Yes. Clear as mud all over it. Lena's <laughs> <laughs> asked, I wish to start some pups on sheep. I only have cattle yards made from panels, so we'll purchase some sheep panels. Any re recommendations for size, height, type, etc., and recommended breed and age of sheep for starting a pup? Soft, young merinos. Dor Dorpers are really challenging. <laughs> yeah. Nice, soft merinos are as easy as any. Um, my yard would be... 10 by 10 metres, I suppose, thereabouts. It's not a huge yard. Um, it's square. I can see a purpose for round yards sometimes. Personally, I don't like them because I want a dog to learn to run a fence and dig those sheep out. Yeah. I, and as soon as a dog's going around sheep, I want that. So going around a round yard, I've seen it lead to a dog cutting across corners in a square yard. Then you've got to teach him all over again. So why not just teach him in a square yard? You can do your second pattern in a, in a square yard quite easily. You don't need a round yard for that. You know, yeah. But about 10 by 10 I've got. That's a reasonable size. You could cheat like me, Rob. I've got a half circle yard. So it's half oh, circle. I've got two corners. <laughs> and it's for the exact that same purpose. For the exact same purpose of what you just said of yeah. digging sheep out from a young age. It's something I encourage. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 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 And it's all about that want, isn't it? Do they want to get in there or not? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Mate, how, how long have you been trialing and what kind of trialing do you like to do? I've been trialling for years. Um, <laughs> I start. I think my first trial was spring, spring of '89 at Harden. I think was my first yard dog trial. Laurel can so remember that. that far. <laughs> <laughs> what was the next part of the question? Uh, and what type of what type of trialling do you do you do, and what do you prefer? Yeah, I I like. Well, I like all disciplines. Um, I have a soft spot for the yard dog trialling. The reason being 
is that I, I remember when I was a beginner, uh, still still a beginner. But um, for me, it's a fantastic sport for a young stockman to come off a place with his station bred hound with half a handle and have some fun. And, and from that fun and talking to the other trialers, they then can go home and realise, well, maybe, maybe there's some things I can learn to make life easier for me at home. Um, so it's a great, it's a great opener for young stockmen. They don't feel the pressure of a three sheep trial, which can be pretty daunting. Um, they can go on a beginner yard trial with a station bred dog with a couple of, you know, might have a sit and that's about it. Yep. But they they can get in there and have a go because it's station type work on a smaller scale, of course. But then from there, they can see how little things make their life easier. And that's why I choose yard trialing. But I like you, all this. Go on. You just answered the next two questions as well, mate. You're all over it. <laughs> what were they? <laughs> Why do you like it? Laurel's about to yeah, ask that's that. Why I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Laura? Um, in your time, have you noticed a change in the way people handle stock and dogs away from trialling? And um, is it for the better or how do you see it? I don't see much away from trialling. Um I think there's plenty of good dogs around today. That I think they're a bit fewer and further between. Or well, when I'd say good dogs, there's always been good dogs, but um, the standard is pretty good at yard trolling these days. Um, I think handling, be, because of the environment we're in, the cultural environment, I think handling has come a long way. Um. Yeah, I, I think I think some people get hung up on training uh, and demanding a dog do like well, we all get demanding. I compete, so I demand. Um, but I think general training they they um don't pay enough attention to what I was talking about earlier about the body language and, and how important that lighthouse piece is. Uh, one of my bugbears is being at a trial and, and people standing at the gateway facing out into the arena and they wonder why the dog comes up behind with the sheep behind the gate. Yeah. And all they had to do was turn. It's natural for that space in front of you to be where the dog wants to put the sheep because he doesn't want to be in front of you. And it makes it easier if you just turn into the gate. So that always drives me to distraction. But, yeah, that well, I think generally that it's pretty good. Well, that's that body positioning you were talking about earlier as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Do you think that's um, people um, oblivious to it or just getting caught up uh, with a bit of nerves? 
I could be nervous, but I think it's also it shouldn't matter where I stand. If I ask the dog to go a certain way, the dog should just go that way. Yeah. And yeah, if, you, if you've got a three-year-old dog and, and you've done the basics, smick, and I mean smick, then okay, maybe you can stand the opposite way, and he will listen to you. But ninety percent of people don't get the basic smick, and so they need to help the dog as much as they can. And body language is a natural occurring phenomena that helps. Beautiful. That's like you had a pre-wrote, mate. You, um, I've been working on it all day, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but if you had the opportunity to change anything in any form of trialing, um, is there anything you'd change? <laughs> um, yes. And to all those three sheep people out there, please don't take this the wrong way because I love your sport. Um, and I don't know if you even do it now. And it's not a crossing thing because you let the beginners cross and I think that's a great thing and it's disqualified for the others and I think that's a good thing too because a dog needs to work with reference. But I don't know if it's been done, but at home my, my sheep don't always travel on my right hip and I don't always stand at the left side of gateways. So I would like to see at some point in the future a trial that could be worked left-handed or right-handed. How they I don't know. It might be too hard to set it up that you could work either way, but maybe one day have a left-handed course. I think that would be interesting. That would be really interesting. It'd give you a more balanced dog as well, wouldn't it? Well, it would give you a better look at the dog. If, if a dog wasn't spent. Yeah. If you had, you know, from, from your delivery, you went to a left-handed obstacle, then across to a right-handed obstacle. So I, I don't know about the logistics, but as a spectacle, I would like to see that, to see how the dog handles it. Yep. And what about in, in a yard trial with crosses as well? Is 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 there anything you would change there or you don't mind a, a working cross? Um, yeah, it it started to get a little lazy um, and I think it's starting to change back now and so it should. A drive is a lot different to sitting a dog inches to the left of you and walking around his backside. That's laziness. Yeah. That's like, that's why why bring him out um a drive fine that that has merit and it has a work connotation um holding away if the dog's three or four meters or further away and holding sheep in a position yeah walk behind him but sometimes you see him sitting inches inches off the line just whip him out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favourite trial to participate in or one you'd like to have a crack at? Um, I've had a crack at most of them. Um, 
I, as far as yard trials go, Henty's a good trial. I haven't been to Wagga for a long time, but it used to be a good trial. West Wyalong, Bathurst. Uh, yeah, did you hear that in the background? Tarralga. I love Tarralga. <laughs> one of my one of my favourite courses is the novice course at Tarralga. It's yeah, I like how that's set up. Yeah, it's a good course. A tricky um, course. Armadale's a good course. There's there's plenty, uh, and I like the courses that don't have Hessian because that's a reflection of real work. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good yard courses out there. And three sheep trials. I, Molong is a good trial. I haven't been to the National. That's one that I would like to get to when I get a dog good enough. So I'll probably never get there. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But Molong's, yeah, it's a good one. Well, while we're talking still on the trialing subject, um, you mentioned the other day something that I actually never knew either that. In yard trialling, there used to be a um, Trans-Tasman Australia versus New Zealand, and there yeah, was a, yeah. an Australian course and a New Zealand course. Do you want to yeah. touch on a bit of that, mate? Um, well, I was lucky enough to have a couple of handy hounds at the time. Robert Mon started it, and he did some really good work, Robert, and he got this Trans-Tasman going. Um, so the first year it was first and second at Henty, which happened to be – myself and Steve Condell and we went off to New Zealand to represent our country which was just amazing um, we're in the green and gold that was a good moment um, and then the second year I was lucky enough to uh, well I was first and third in Western Australia and Neil Christensen unfortunately there were some ordinary circumstances and he couldn't come over so I was the only rep with Moss and Gin, and they decided to put a New Zealand course and an Australian course, so we had to run twice. The New Zealand course, you had to start with your dog in a circle next to you, and the dog had to make noise before it left the circle, you know, a half-metre hoot. So, so it had to start with noise. Every time you worked an obstacle, it had to be worked with noise. The draft, I can remember it now, was two 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 one one. So that was all right. I wish we could have that more often. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. But every obstacle had to be worked with noise. If you didn't work with noise, yeah, you'd, you'd be pointed, which was okay for Moss. He was a free bark and he had a good mind. So he, he was quite able to deliver. But Jin was... In. <laughs> so I got her to make noise, but there was a lot of friction, <laughs> and that's that's how gin operated. If if you weren't just opening the gates and letting her do a thing, yeah, she she was a hard bitch to work, but she taught me a lot. That bitch, she taught me that that um, the friendly pup isn't everything because she was a bitch of a pup. I was forever pulling her out from under a vehicle, but every time I put her on sheep, I thought. She's got to stay. The, the, the amount of stock sense and and old doggedness in this little pup was just outstanding. So I thought, I got, I better learn how to get around you because you're just too good. And yeah, so you come across dogs like that that teach you, teach you things, and she certainly did. But anyway, yeah, getting back to the trial, it was good. Yeah, the Trans Tasman days, I managed to represent on for. 
we're including the double four occasions. So yeah, it's quite an honour. Yeah, Definitely. it was good. Pretty achievement. Yeah, I, I was wrapped. Yeah, it, it's probably not. Well, I'm not going to denigrate it. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. And what type of dogs were the New Zealand team using? Hunaways. All Hunaways, yep. Yeah, yeah. So the noise was easy for them, but the, we were on merinos, though, and, yeah, the merinos just ducked their heads down after a while. They were sick of it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're so, I've had a question come through. Um, when a judge is asked to judge a novice and an open trial, should there be a defined line between the expectations of the two classes? The judge would probably already have that in his mind. Um, for me, myself, if I was judging two classes on the same day, um, let's put a scenario up. Um, Let's say a maiden novice. They yeah, okay. Yeah, so say I'm, I'm judging a maiden novice. Um, I might be a little bit more lenient on a bite scenario. So, so if a young dog was running the fence and grabbed a couple of faces, yeah, you know, does it really, as long as they're not proper connecting bites, just little noses, does it really matter? When you're trying to pull open dogs apart, it could be the difference between winning and losing. So so you draw your own lines up. Uh, and, you know, a, a break. So, so your maiden novice dog might be working real hard and drops a sheep, sheep off. It's only a little break, so you hit him a couple of points. Open dog working too hard with the same break might be three or four. So, you know, you step it up according to to what you believe the dogs are capable of in different classes. Yeah, so more expectation from those open dogs, so you point them harder. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I don't like I don't like changing for the final. I like to be hard from the get-go. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if you start one way, be consistent with that way through the whole day. Yep, yep. And, and and it's important to judge to your talk. So don't just have your talk and forget about it. Remember your talk. Because if you say, this is what I want, and you don't judge that way, then I don't think you're being fair to the competitor who's heard the talk and gone, right, okay, well, I'm going to try and do it right. Yep. So, so you listen to your own talk. And be honest and judge to your own talk. Being consistent all day then, right? Not just, oh, the first yeah. 10 months. We weren't able to do it, so I'll be a bit lighter on it now. Yeah. Or, or or on your way to the toilet, you look at the scoreboard and think, oh, shit, I'd better go a bit harder. Yeah, no, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> no, agreed, mate. Before Dean's next question, um, because there's a question here that's pretty much the same. Yep. Ben, as a party, has asked, who was the most influential stock metal person um, and what do you think made them so respected um, and who taught you? Someone you inspire, uh, who inspired are you? Are you talking trialling, I, I presume? 
anything well I'll, I'll go to the very first lesson i learned was my first day at work in queensland i'll try to keep it short um we had 500 bullets walking out it was an old ringer and myself the old ringers riding long rolling a smoke and he had cattle from sneeze to breeze i was young and keen and had my bullocks neat as a pin the horse was knocked up but the bullocks were neat as a pin and in my eagerness, I thought, well, that's a mess over there. I better go over there and straighten that out too. And as I went across, he hit me fair up the back of the head with a stirrup iron. <laughs> you didn't do that again, did you? Don't cross again. <laughs> and he just goes, they be my cattle over there, boy. They be your cattle over there. You do what you want with your cattle, leave mine alone. <laughs> and I never run him. I never crossed anyone ever again. <laughs> That was, oh my, God, that was my first lesson at work, and um, hence the ugly face. And uh, anyway, and as far as trialing, Jimmy Loose, I always looked up to Jim. Um, I did go to a school, but I, yeah, yeah, I like. I, he he was a bit coy, Jimmy. He, he wondered why I was there. I said I wasn't there to learn. <laughs> But, but um, yeah, I really looked up to Jim. He could play a dog really well. Princey was an extremely good stock person. I didn't didn't have a great deal to do with Greg, but I, I certainly respected him. But as far as yard dog trialling, watching Jim, watching Chris, Steve, you know, there was plenty of people around when I started. He's just sitting on the sidelines and making notes and, Oh, okay. So they do it that way. I'll try that when I get home. Yeah, just mucking around with things. And for our listeners out there, they won't show. He's talking about Chris Stapleton and Steve Wayman there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's all right. If you're watching, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I've had another. Another questions come through from Nick Hovey. Should there be a hard and fast rule on filling a race, etc., in a yard trial? Either either they have to back no matter what, or if the dog can fill the race without it, you don't need to. He says to him it wouldn't to him he wouldn't back a dog in a work situation if there was no sheep left in the pen. So why is it judge's discretion? It is judge's discretion for a reason, but I don't think judges use the discretion enough. I think in the talk they don't make it clear that you're allowed to jump your dog over if you so desire and work the side of the race. Um, there, There is a lot more judges' discretion. I've heard a lot more judges say if, if you've loaded the race well and the sheep are packed up the front, there's no need to back the race. That makes sense to me. That's good. But I think... That especially in beginner classes when you've got young stockmen coming in who may work the side of the race every day. And I work the side of the race. I've got a three-storey drenching race and my dogs have to work. The, you know, it's too hard on them all day running up over the back. So I, I ask them to come out. I think I'd like to see judges explain that that option is there more often. Um, the reason... A lot of rules are subjective in yard dog trialling is because 
there's no set course, right? Sheep are always different. The courses are different. You might be working shorn sheep. You might be working woolly sheep. So if you're working shorn sheep, there's probably no need to back them. Uh, if you're working woolly sheep, you may need to back them. You may not. So I think there's a room for judges to be discretion, to show discretion. I also think, and I think we've done it well so far, the committee of the Yard Dog Association needs to make sure that we're getting judges up with enough experience and general everyday stockmanship knowledge that they can make good subjective decisions. If that answers it. Uh, it, it, it does. And, I, um, you know, I would like to see a few different variations like you just mentioned there because, you know, it is the old, you know, your dog must be at the front when you open a gate kind of thing. So a couple mm. of, um, you know, leaving it up to um, the handler, as long as it works, that could, um, it shows oh. a bit of stockmanship, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, and this, who goes I, I, probably shouldn't say this, I probably shouldn't say this live, but I rarely completely listen to the judges talk. I quite often... Uh, because I'm a tad stubborn, maybe I like to go out there and prove prove the talk wrong, and, and do do good work, even though it wasn't what the judge wanted. So, so I might not make a final, but I've done good work, and I'm happy with that. But, but along this discretionary thing, we're at Goulburn a lot of years ago, and Chris, I know you're watching. It was judging the novice at at Goulburn, and it was really, really wet. And the sheep were muddy and fine wool little. Chris made a discretionary call and it was a good one. He said, these are wooled sheep. I will not have them muddied. You've got one crack at, at back in the race. Then every dog must work outside the race. It was a great call and a great trial. There were a lot of dogs couldn't do it and that's okay, but the dogs that could do it were paid for it and the sheep were clean. And at the end of the day, it's all about the sheep. It's not about the dog. The dogs are a tool. Yep. That'd be cool to see something like that, mate. We don't, it's not very often you get to yeah. see something like that. So, you know, and, and picking dogs apart, like I don't know if mine would do it, but I'd have a crack and I suppose it would show a bit of stockmanship as well. Cause if your dog can't do it, all right, how are you going to make it work? Yeah, yeah. I quite quite often, not all the time, but quite often I'll teach my young dogs to work side of the race first. Yeah. But I need them to work the side of the race where I am. Uh, cool. How are we going with questions there, Laura? Uh, we're all up to date at the moment. Um, is there a message you'd like to get out into the working dog community? Keep it simple, stupids. That sounded awfully rude. No, no. I think. Oh, sorry, I think. I think um, a lot of people uh, forget the simplicity of it all, and how the further down the track you get, as far as level of of competency goes in the dog. It always comes back to how simp 
how well the simple things were done at the start. So, so oh, how do I explain it? The advanced class is the beginner class done better. Yeah. There's no extra tricks. You're just doing the simple stuff better. Same stuff I'm doing with them at six and seven months old, you're just refining those same moves. Man, you've had a lot of handy dogs over the years. But have you got a best achievement or most memorable moment? I got. It. I was thinking about that one. There's two memorable moments. Well, there's, you know, there's a few. I was lucky. Um, I won the Australian with Sarge, and I bred him out of two dogs I bred. So that was a special occasion, and and it was a tough. He won it with I think sixty seven and seventy uh, sixty four. It was a tough trial. That's it. That um, no, it was hard, and there's a lot of fellas around today that'll testify to how hard it was. And then when Ruby won the novice and the national kelpie at Ellera, that was quite a moment. But I, you know, it's not really trialing. But my greatest memory around the whole trialing thing was when I was at school at Molong as a young kid in year seven, and the ag teacher used to take us down to the Molong rec to watch the state sheepdog championships. And I used to go around everybody and ask them to pat their dogs and being a real nuisance. So I managed to get – yeah, one year I went there with Moss and I managed to get in the top 20 of the Molong state championships. And I was sitting there ready to go on and this little kid come up in a school uniform. He said, excuse me, mister, can I pat your dog? Well, I bloody near broke down and I hope that kid's working dogs today because that was special. <laughs> he was me. Yeah, I bet it would be. Yeah, took a long time for me to go back to Molong after that. Mm. I'm, I'm impressed you can remember it. Oh, good on you. <laughs> but, uh, um, anyway. Amanda, Amanda Dunbar has asked, as a judge, would you rather see an inexperienced handler get in and help an inexperienced dog or is it better to retire before it all turns pear-shaped? Help. Help, help, help. Some people criticise me because I train my dogs on the course. But it's one, here's one thing I will say, and it's a big rule of mine. Always trial for the next trial, if that helps people. So, so if I'm in the ring and a dog's playing up, just pull it. Don't stop, but don't worry about the points. Do whatever it takes to get the dog around so the dog can have a win and the dog's listening because it'll come back to bite you if you don't at the next trial. If you can fix it at that trial, then the next one should become a little bit easier. So always trial for the next trial. I got criticised in, the, uh, I think it was the New South Wales Championships. There was a couple of blokes judging and Sarge was only 18 months old and, and he was being a bit headstrong and a bit belligerent, and I pulled him up in the final. And the judges said, what in the bloody are you in the final of the New South Wales Championships, and you pull your dog up and play games with him? I said, he'll have his day. I'm not going to let him get away with it. So always trial for the next trial. So, so I don't believe in walking away. I believe in doing what you can to help your dog around. 
and that and goes for everyone, not just beginners. That's everyone. And, and that's the same at home as well, right? You're not going to let your dog get away with it or with something at home. So jump on top of it and you're going to use the same aspect in, in the ring. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It, otherwise, they learn that the ring is different. So, yeah, always trial for the next trial. Is there anything you do away um, away from dogs, mate, a hobby, hidden talent, something we don't know about? Um, I don't know. Here's one for the books. I have a poetry book. No, you don't. Don't pop your water up. No, no, I don't. I don't. It's packed away at the moment because we're in the caravan. Yeah, every now and then I write write a bit of poetry. Yeah, yeah. All stockmen are sensitive, don't you know that, Dan? (laughs) All of you. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to see that the next uh, whole weekend trial, mate. I, I expect you to to give us a little uh, note or two. Aren't I've got to get a magazine. Yeah, okay, but I've got I'll, I'll give you one for the magazine, but I've got to get it out of the boxes that when we move into the house. Sounds like a deal. Yeah. I'll we'll hold you to it. <laughs> okay, but yeah, that's that's my hidden. Well, I wouldn't call it a talent, but that's the little thing I do on the side. That's pretty cool, mate. That's uh, that's very good. I, I couldn't. <laughs> I, I find it hard to string four words together. So I, there's no way I made a poet. <laughs> I didn't say I was a poet. I tried. <laughs> anyway, is there anything that you'd like us like you'd like us you'd like to see us introduce to dog talk? Um. Well, to be honest, I've only just got the internet, so I. T- I'm not really up to speed, but I think it's terrific. And and having this chat here tonight, it, it's like, yeah, I love nothing. I love more than talking dogs, <laughs> but um, well, horses, cows, sheep, okay. But um, no, I think this is a great concept. And and you know what? What would be good is get a couple of beginners. Like you've gone through the more experienced fellas. I I, I haven't seen a beginner advertised. Um. Mm-hmm. Or, or one of the one of your weekend warriors, you know, they've got a lot to offer. Um, it doesn't have to be the experienced guys and, and everybody looking for a fix all the time. Why not just hear the other side? I'm real big on remembering where I came from, and I I was an encouraged worker once. And um, yeah, don't underestimate them and what they have to offer. It's very uh, good advice, mate, and I suppose it's keeping it real, right? So we, we haven't heard that before. Oh, I, so, uh, I, I know <laughs> all too well. <laughs> but um, no, I can appreciate that, mate, and uh, thanks for that feedback. That's, that's Honestly, that's something I haven't considered before. So Definitely yeah, be good. Let, let's take that yeah. on board. Yeah. I, I think it, you know, there may just be something that we can all learn from someone just kicking off. Never know it all, do we? No, no, no. But even if it if it puts old stooges like gives gives an old stooge like me a bit of perspective and and um, you know just just remember that it's 
not real easy kicking off. Like I remember how nervous I was. My knees used to shake, and yeah, it'd be nice to hear that that from someone and how they're struggling to get into it. If they're struggling to get into it, you know. On that note, anyway. yes. On that note, is there anyone who'd like us to sit down with and do a Q and A with? Um, have you done old Jim yet, old Jim Lewis? I know he's not mucking around with dogs anymore, but he'd be great to to listen to. He, he'd have some good old stories. Yeah, no, we haven't been able to have a chat with Jim yet. But, um, yeah, he'd be a good one. Uh, Lyndon Cooper. Yep. South Australia. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd anyone. You know, like I said, the beginners got a lot to offer too. Just let's all talk dogs. Good. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're doing a great job. Well, let's talk about great jobs. Let's see how good your memory is here, mate. It's time oh, for you. <laughs> I'll be wrecking the brain. <laughs> it's time for you to think of a question that was asked tonight, mate, and uh, that person will win a bag of Enduro Plus working dogs. Uh, um, can you read through them all again? <laughs> do, we, do you have an idea of the question? I can find the person's name. Was it Dunbar? Was it? Yeah, Amanda had a few questions. Yes. And and Freeman. Yeah. Yep. I think his was all right. That They're was all early. Yeah, <laughs> that was very early in, in the piece. I think that. Yeah. Yeah, he had the one yeah, about think... um, weaknesses that you're prepared to tolerate. Yeah, I think that one. I think that okay. one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if... Because that's a real personal one because everybody can handle different aspects of a dog. So what I consider a weakness, someone else considers a strength. But that was a good question. Yeah. Well, Rick, get in touch with us with your details and um, we'll pass them on to Enduro to send that dog food off to you. Um, we'd like to thank all of our members for tuning in tonight and, of course, you, Rob, for your time. It's been great. You're welcome. Oh, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. That's good. One last question before you go. Would oh, you rather fight yeah. one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was a good one. Um, I would rather – this will be controversial. <laughs> I would rather fight one duck the size of a horse. Any reason you Yep. He's in your face and you haven't got 19 in, in your back. <laughs> 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 I love it. <laughs> you know what you're dealing with. That's exactly. right. That's right. <laughs> mate, well, like Laura said, mate, thank you very much for your time tonight. We uh, we really appreciate you. And I know that, you know, we try to hold it an hour, but the talk was pretty good tonight. And we're at 150% there at an hour and a half. So thank you very much for jumping on board and uh, spending some time with us. You're welcome. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks for your good work. Thank you. Uh, thank you. And uh, to everyone out there, please remember we learn every day. And the day we yeah. stop learning, it will be a sad one for all of us. Yep. Yep. Good night. Well done, everyone. Bye. See ya.